0: Welcome back to Insemination. My name is Laura High, your chaotic demon sperm donor baby of the podcast interwebs world. Today we are doing part two with Dina DNA, the lovely, wonderful, amazing genetic counselor who is doing my genetic testing for the very first time. And in this episode, we are gonna start that process. You are now going to watch me go through essentially the question and answer period with Dina as she goes through my family medical history so that you guys can decide whether or not this is something, a path that you wanna take for yourself. And now you can know what is involved in going to see a genetic counselor. Gotta say, I'm a little nervous about this. But before we start, let's do a little housekeeping. If you haven't, please like, subscribe, comment to this podcast. It would really mean a lot. Leave a rating. It would be delightful of you. And of course, October 15th will be the very first protest for donor conceived rights in New Orleans outside the ASRM convention. We'll be gathering at 11 a.m. and we will be leaving at 3 p.m., All information on the protest is at www.laurahighfive.com. There's a little tab that says protest. Please join us in New Orleans. We must show solidarity in numbers as we fight for donor conceived rights and remind ASRM that donor conceived children should be their first priority, not the banks and not the clinics. And following the protest, October 15th at 8 p.m., I will be headlining at the Howling Wolf. Please get your tickets ahead of time because seating is limited. And oh boy, will we need some comedy and jokes after the protest. Lots of fun, emotional labor that day. Can't wait to see all of you in New Orleans. Please bring your family, friends, your neighbors to the protest. The more the merrier. I promise we will make it fun. Maybe we might be making some TikToks, I don't know. It's gonna be a fun time. And we can't wait to see you there. But now, let's get to the episode kind of shift into sort of like our part two of this video which Mm -hmm. is about my genetic testing um because we are going to sort of show everybody how this really works and you guys are going to learn a lot of information about me um which is (laughs) i'm sort of going like all right and um i'm going to so for anybody watching this, I'm going to be as transparent as humanly possible. We're literally going to show you pictures of birthmarks. But um, the only thing that I'm not going to be tra- that we're sort of going to hide our family members names, because obviously we're going to go into my known family medical history. And so we're just we're blocking out some names because of that and for for their own anonymity, because just because I'm willing to paste my world on a fucking billboard that doesn't mean my family does. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Let me just, um, and then, um, and then also for everyone, what we're going to do is in a part two, we're going to do a completely second episode when we get the results and go through them again, very publicly together, which is going to be, I'm sure lots of fun.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. So, okay. So I'm going to start off by kind of just, um, explaining of this is kind of a, uh, A public genetic counseling session, right? So uh, it's not going to be exactly what somebody would go through um, when they were doing genetic counseling. Also, the way I do it is a little bit different than other people. Everybody has their own style. Um, I will say I trained and worked in an academic setting for a long time, but now I do my own concierge genetic counseling. So I am able to spend a little bit more time with my patients than somebody who's, you know, in a, uh, Different setting, maybe telemedicine, or um, there's lots of different ways that you can see a genetic counselor. But I do recommend everybody that if you're going to see a genetic counselor to have a pretest session, where you discuss in depth the history, like we're going to do today, and then a post test results session, which is where you go over the results. And then I give the risk assessment based on everything I saw. Amazing. Um, the other thing I should clarify too is that most genetic counselors will have a specialty that they work in. So like, let's say you want to go because you you yourself have cancer or you have a, a known family member with cancer, then you would mm-hmm. go see a cancer genetic counselor and the session would be focused on cancer. Um, the same goes for cardiology, yeah. uh, for all these different specialties or for rare disease. And so most genetic counselors, you know, are going to be specialized. Another difference about what I'm doing is I kind of look at everything. So my background and expertise is in cancer, which is, you know, um, why I'm focusing a little more on it. But there are, uh, I do like to look at the kind of holistic view. And if I don't know something, I have a lot of colleagues who are experts that I can, you know, ask questions for. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Um, You know, explain my expertise a little bit. I love it. Yes. Perfect. So, okay. So when you go see a genetic counselor, one of uh, one of the most important things is if you do know anything about your family history, to fill out that paperwork, it'll be about your personal history um, and your family history. And Laura has filled that out for me already. So that has been really helpful. And I'm going to be using that information when we combine everything together to give her a, a risk assessment based on all the information she could provide me. Um, and genetic test results. So I am going to pull up your pedigree right now. Amazing. Okay. So this is an example of a pedigree. So this is a tool that we use in genetics when we're looking for patterns in someone's family history. And usually what we'll do um, is we will take some information ahead of time and then kind of update it in a session. So that's what we're going to do now. So um, Laura, we're going to start with your personal history you're 35 right yeah (laughs) and you don't have any children right uh no we're we're hoping to start conceiving uh next year okay and that's something we'll get to too in a little bit so I know you had reported that you had um your pituitary mass Mm -hmm. diagnosed at 33. So in other words, a mass on your pituitary gland. And I know we talked a little bit before this, were you able to get any information about what that was or if what it was called? It was a, a a benign tumor Mm -hmm. uh,
0: located on my pituitary gland. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was very, we caught it early enough to where Mm -hmm. um, it could be treated with medication instead of getting a surgery.
1: Okay. And so um, with that, a lot of the pituitary masses that we see are benign. So they're usually pituitary adenomas. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, was it called that? Was it called a pituitary adenoma? I believe that that sounds correct. Okay. Yeah. And And usually it's not that that's necessarily cancerous, but it can... Um, secrete hormones or cause an issue with the hormones in the pituitary gland? Was, was that what was happening? Yeah, it was secreting prolactin,
0: mm-hmm. and the prolactin is I, I is the hormone that I would say like would allow you to like breastfeed, and mm-hmm. what it was doing to me was I was having like incredibly high levels of prolactin, and essentially my I I like stopped having periods, or I was having incredibly infrequent periods, and they. I was also having a my anxiety was through the roof. I was exhausted. Um, also related. Um, because we we just we saw this once. I I started going on medication. My cholesterol was incredibly high. Um, mm-hmm. another one. Yeah, those were. Uh, and my digestive system was just completely off; like it was, I, it was really messed up.
1: Okay. Those were and all of the things. Do that you we, remember? We found. Did they ever call the mass a prolactinoma?
0: Oh God, I don't remember.
1: Okay, okay, because um, that would be a type of this pituitary adenoma. Um, so did they? Okay, and I know it was treated. With medication. I've been um, on the medication
0: you, for a year and a half, and I'm going to be on it probably for another year and a half. Okay. Okay. But so the crazy. we have done an MRI, and the tumor okay. is gone. Um, oh, great. Yes, okay. I am tumor-free now, but uh, we tried taking me off the medication for a little bit, and my body started immediately like reverting. So mm. they're hoping if I stay on it for another year and a half – um, it might jumpstart my system to actually start working on its own better.
1: Okay, that's okay. I
0: think the the goal.
1: Okay. Um, and did they ever do any imaging of any other of your endocrine glands to see if there were any other growths on anything else?
0: No, it was just um just on the head. Pituitary. Okay. And for okay. anybody who's wondering, my pituitary gland it's the it's like a little little pea sack that like hangs off the brain right behind the eyes
1: yes and um it's also responsible for growth hormone uh production so so the reason i'm asking about that is that um this is this is going to be a really good example of how we use your personal history mm-hmm. when there's a lack of family history so when we think about pituitary adenomas mm-hmm. they they can they i mean they're a rare occurrence but they can happen in it for an isolated occurrence, but they can also be part of uh, a syndrome called men one which is kind of a rare syndrome. But um, in order for you to fit criteria, you would have to have some family history of something that's known, right? Or you'd have to have some other, another kind of like mass that's been found or some other signs of it. Okay. And so this is a really good example of when not having some family history kind of makes it so that you may not fit your insurance criteria mm. for doing this testing. And some people may argue, well, okay, just having a pituitary adenoma alone may not be enough. It's not really enough to... Um, put somebody to, to have someone meet criteria for testing for this, but because you have some absent family history information and because we're going to be doing a large panel anyway, I do think it's going to be important for us to test all the genes associated with these kind of endocrine growths. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes.
0: No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, I don't know if this helps, Um, but I do, but it definitely seems like this was tied into it was when I I got my period when I was 13, since Mm -hmm. I was 13, my period has never been consistent. Mm -hmm. I've always missed months every, every single year. Um, it has always been that way. And when I initially connected to two of my donor conceived siblings, They also said that they also had really struggled with hormonal disorders as well and also with um, menstruation. And so it's something that and and this kind of issue does not seem to be presenting whatsoever anywhere on my maternal side. So Mm -hmm. it looks like we have some kind of hormonal disorder from Mm -hmm. the donor side. We just have no idea what.
1: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when it comes to abnormal periods, I think there's a lot of reasons that people can have abnormal periods or abnormal hormones. And unfortunately, I don't think we even know all of them at this point in time. Um, But if it was associated with whatever is associated with this pituitary mass, then um we can we can look for some of those associations using this genetic testing amazing yeah but I don't think that it's going to necessarily explain it um just because there's again you know a lot of reasons for this and it's really Mm -hmm. hard did you did you talk to your OB about or you know your your gynecologist about um what might be causing irregular periods did anybody ever do any testing for that
0: This is what the, the test eventually led to was go see an endocrinologist. Uh, Oh, Okay. Your prolactin is out of order.
1: Did your half siblings also have that? Did they have an endocrinology workup?
0: They have, they haven't had a pituitary. Neither of them have had at least the two that I've spoken to. No one has a pituitary mass, but they're, but they also have hormonal issues as well.
1: So they had imaging and they know they didn't
0: have a pituitary mass. They've been tested for prolactin and prolactin is not popping up.
1: Okay. Because that's Um, why
0: I got the MRI was because my prolactin mm -hmm. was
1: skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Um, Okay. Okay. So they're, and they've been tested for endocrine for the hormones, but Mm -hmm. they um, didn't have the same prolactin issues as you. Okay. No, they, they got other, they had other issues but yeah. Okay. They, they had other reasons for their abnormal periods.
0: Yes. Um, one of my sisters was having fertility issues. Um, and she really struggled to have her first child. And that was over years and years and years. Um, my other sister has like a slew of autoimmune disorders.
1: Okay. Including
0: one, uh, she has one. I, um, where she cannot process toxins.
1: Okay. Do you have a name of that? Do you know the name of it?
0: One second and I will pull it right on up.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think it sounds like it could be these irregular periods could maybe be from different reasons, from Mm -hmm. different causes. If yours was found to be from this cause and theirs was from other causes... Um so I'm not I don't think that our, the genetic testing we would do would be h- as helpful for the irregular periods but I think it it will be helpful at least to rule out um the syndromes associated with uh, pituitary masses. Uh so my
0: my sister that is S she mm-hmm. has been diagnosed with CIRS biotoxin illness. But yeah that's the information that I have about so far uh, essentially with my my siblings. Um, I have known two other donor conceived siblings and then my donor has two children of his own. I have no history from them whatsoever.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, so in looking at your, the, the rest of the stuff, so we, you shared with me that you had migraines that were diagnosed at 12. Um, did they ever find a, um, or I guess, okay. How often did you have them? When I was 12, I was getting them almost every day. Oh my gosh. Okay. And you said you were hospitalized twice. For uh, them? Yeah. Hospitalized twice. I was at
0: most, I, I remember it's, we, I it was on 13 pills in the morning and seven at night.
1: Okay. I wow. was wow. A, like a pharmacy. Yeah. It was not good. How long did that last for? Um, like two and a half months. Okay. And did they ever find like a, a cause behind that? Um, what
0: eventually we we sort of found was that it looked like through there was like a we did eventually like a scanning of my my spine, mm-hmm. and what it looked like was my my atlas bone was like pinching slightly my um um uh, my spinal cord. Okay, and, and then so did then
1: they, I, did you get it? That did it? Like did. Do you do anything to change that? Physical therapy was a big one. Okay. And that helped? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Okay. So you the, didn't need surgery. No, no surgery. It was physical therapy. And it was like a very specific form of chiropractor. Okay. But okay. it was it was a lot of physical therapy, was really it.
1: Okay. Um, and then the other stuff that you had uh kind of talked about was the anxiety and PTSD, and then Um, you have low blood pressure and then an iron deficiency. So the Mm -hmm. iron deficiency, is that, um, do you have anemia? I am like, I'm like right on the line of anemia where
0: they're like, you're, you're anemic, but you're not anemic. I'm like literally on the line.
1: And this has that last when has that lasted for many years? Uh, since I was 16. And then that was fixed by, I think you said by your diet,
0: uh, yeah, I have to, we went through so many different trials to figure out how, but I take 120 milligrams of iron every day, uh, along okay. with eating red meat uh, a couple times a week.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, and then you've had a mole removed uh, yep. and that was, did they tell you it was precancerous or benign? Um,
0: th- It turned pink and made them very worried. And they were like, let's just take that sucker right out. Okay. And it was a big surgery. Like they they like really dug into the roots.
1: And do you remember the name of like do you have any information about the pathology of what was removed? No,
0: I have no idea.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a long time. That's something ago. I might request just to kind of get a whole picture. Um I believe I was like skin 10 findings. What?
0: I was 10 when it happened. So
1: we can still see if we can track it down. Okay. <laughs> um so so when we do these kind of genetic risk assessments, we're, sometimes there are certain benign flags that we look at mm-hmm. that that are completely benign in and, of a, in and of themselves, but can be pieces of a puzzle or can be clues that something else may be going on or that can be kind of connected. So that's what's so interesting about genetics um, is that you can have a genetic mutation that causes a certain syndrome or a certain condition or certain risk and there sometimes are very subtle findings that we may see, um, and so depending on what the uh, pathology of that you know spot that was removed is, it could be something very rare that could be associated with a syndrome that would then lead me um, to look a little more closely into certain into um, you know a certain condition, versus if it was if something really common, then it may not be as helpful. So that's why I ask about those, you know, benign findings. So for everyone listening, if you have had anything removed, a lump, bump, cyst growth, polyp, skin growth, or mole, uh, knowing your pathology of that can be really helpful when you're doing a genetic evaluation. So just, you know, something, to, a little, little hint there. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So then we talked about you, anything else that you can think of any other lumps, bumps, cysts, growth, polyps that you've had. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then you don't have any full sibs, right?
0: No, no, no full siblings.
1: Okay. Um, and then we're going to go to your mom's side of the family. So I know you'll have this up on the screen. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know your mom's 68. She's never had any major health issues that you Okay, great. And then, um, she she had fertility issues at 30 and did they ever figure out what the cause of that was
0: they they have an estimate of what what happened um due to what was showing um they believe what ended up happening was my mom at 13 had like a very very severe like hospital worthy fever like it was really massive while she was going through puberty um because they realized her um I'm going to really hope that I'm using these terms correctly. The, her flagella that the fingery things that grab the eggs. Uh Uh-huh. They were melted together.
1: Okay. Okay. Like they they overheated.
0: Yeah. Like they, like they overheated and they said that the, 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 what the doctors were like, they literally are melted and they're no longer. So instead of gathering the eggs, they were literally like batting them away. Okay. okay. So we believe that it was something that it was like external that caused the fertility issues, but we really don't know this was a guess as to what okay. happened.
1: Um, do you know if she ever had genetic testing?
0: No, she hasn't.
1: Okay. Okay. So again, for people listening, there are a lot of different causes of uh, that are genetic for infertility. So, if you are having any fertility issues um, or you have a strong family history of it, there are a lot of reasons behind that. So, um, you can definitely see a genetic counselor that specializes in fertility, um, or and you'll also want to see, you know, a reproductive endocrinologist that specializes in fertility as well. Um, okay, so... The fertility, uh, we kind of talked about, and then I know you said she's pre-diabetic at 65, um, she's no longer pre-diabetic, but she, she was for, she isn't, she worked very
0: hard on that and I'm very proud of her. Good for her. Good for her. Yes. Um, but she, yes, but she, she was diagnosed with, with, um, uh, she was diagnosed pre-diabetic And the pain in her feet, she says the pain in her feet made it really easy for her to make the lifestyle changes Mm, she needed to make. She was like, that shit was not playing around. She was like, that was awful.
1: Well, good for her. That really is difficult to do that. So good. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so we talked about your mom and then your mom had one brother, Mm -hmm. right? Your uncle and he had epilepsy. Yes. And how old was he when that was diagnosed? I believe he was like 1820. Okay. So he was that when he had his first seizure? Yes. Okay. And do you know how many seizures he's had since then?
0: Um, they were grand mal seizures and I believe he's had like two or three.
1: Okay. So, so very, very, very little. And did he have head trauma? No. No head trauma. Um did he... they ever find why he had the seizures? No. Like any reason that they thought? No, but they have found
0: and this was 10 years ago, um, mm-hmm. he has developed a benign tumor on the side of his head. And they said that it is very common um, among people who have epilepsy to develop this tumor.
1: Okay. Can you get me the name of that tumor? Sure. It's part of your homework? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That will be helpful too. Um, I'm not sure what that tumor is, but it's inside or on his the surface.
0: Uh I'm I need to double check that because I don't okay. remember.
1: But yeah, yeah I, I I yeah, if you can give me the name of this tumor, sure. benign tumor that you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that could be a clue to something for me. Sure. So that'll be helpful. Um epilepsy, there's there's a lot of genetic causes of epilepsy. Uh, a lot of them are pediatric, so they're when children have seizures, um, and a lot of times it's associated with other things like intellectual disability, autism, or some other sort of disability, so usually when it's adult onset and it's a few seizures, uh, it's less likely that we would find something on a genetic test, but I am really interested in knowing what this benign tumor is because that could clue me in to sure. some other...
0: Um, all I remember from it was that uh, he said that it was very common with people at, It's like a side effect of epilepsy or seizures yeah, I'm
1: really curious to know what that is Yeah,
0: sure No, I'll, I, will, I will text him and ask
1: Okay, great So, okay, so we, does he have children? No No, okay um, Has he ever had genetic testing? I'm pretty sure he has He has? I, I would bet that he has, yeah And do you know what it would have been for? Probably this. The epilepsy or the tumor? Uh, Probably the tumor and the epilepsy. That would be my guess. Yeah. Okay. So if he has had genetic testing, I would love if you could get that information because that will give me, you know, again, more information for your test and risk assessment. Um, Anytime that a family member ever has genetic test results it is super super helpful to keep those all together so we at least know and oftentimes i'll find that a family member had a test um and and like they'll have something of some variant in there that wasn't really fully discussed um or maybe that they didn't really um Yeah. They didn't get a full explanation of, and then it actually is very important for their relatives that that happens sometimes. So anytime there's genetic testing in a family, always, you know, try and collect that if possible. Um, I'm just just giving tips to your listeners as I'm also talking to you. (laughs) This is great. I love, this is why we're doing
0: it this way. So people can understand this, this, this is why.
1: Yeah. Okay. So then so then uh we'll go to your grandmother. So I know she she died at 90 from yes. a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, one of the common causes for when somebody's in their 90s or or at an older age that yeah. somebody would pass. If the heart attack was earlier, that could be a flag for me for there being something hereditary going on, like if it was in the 40s or earlier. Um, and in some families we do see that, and that is really important to have a genetic assessment if we see that but because hers was at 90 it's more likely from um a lot of more like age related uh, conditions and then I know we had talked a little bit earlier that she had had some psychiatric disease and some dementia as well yeah um you know so again th- this is t- full
0: disclosure to to everybody because this is definitely complicated and this is heavily talked about in my family because we are, are kind of all on the lookout. So my, my grandmother is one of five and two of her older brothers, uh, passed away in world war II. So I'm really, so it's really, we're really down to three of them. Um, three of these siblings, but she and them presented massive mental illness and her diagnosis was a little tough because she was so much older when she was getting it done um, but she was diagnosed with um, she had a, a, a very low IQ but she also and I'm trying to and this again and her diagnosis changed a lot but it, it kind of fluctuated definitely depression between like uh, psychosis narcissism I, I think sociopathy was once on the table as well um and this was her and her brothers as well. Um all of them were very unfortunately had very violent tendencies and were very um very abusive. And it seemed extremely like all three of them did very all, all of them did very very similar things. To the extent that like my grandmother had multiple restraining orders against her from strangers and my uh, and her one of her brothers went to jail for assault. um, So this is like massive problems. Um, But and, and here here is the thing that always kind of got my family and I because obviously all of us were sitting here going like oh shit what's gonna get passed down to the rest of us because it, it was it just so serious and how they, you know, affected um, everybody in the family. Their parents have been described as nothing but the sweetest, kindest individuals. Um, there has been, at, nobody in the family has said, like, there wasn't any, they no signs of abuse whatsoever. They genuinely, no one in the family thinks the, the parents were abusing. And then the other section is, no one else in the family has shown any form of their level of, um, violence, nothing. No one has been diagnosed with anything like that. They've only been diagnosed from things that has been caused from trauma due to how these relatives treated them. And then we kind of all sort of sat back and kind of were like, well, okay, what the hell could it be? and then we kind of remembered that my great grandfather worked heavily with lead paint heavily with lead paint and we kind of and it the how they were exhibiting themselves really lines up well with lead paint with lead exposure don't we don't think that it is genetic we think that it is very much kept to that generation um but i always mention it as because obviously we don't know we 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 don't fully, you know, we'll ever probably know what happened to them, but it is a very unfortunate part of my family's history. Um, You know, my grandmother was institutionalized in the 60s. She had shock therapy in the 60s. Like it was heavily serious, but we, there's a lot of variables that we just, we just aren't sure Mm -hmm. of.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, a, a good example of how uh, an exposure can sometimes appear in a family and, yeah. and cause disease, um, you know, with with it being all the siblings and not in other generations. If yeah. it's truly, you know, how the pattern works, it does make sense for that being it would, um, some it, sort of exposure relation. We would assume it would have popped up by now
0: because even, like, my generation of cousins, they've had children now, like, nothing on their level, uh, has popped up at all. Not even, yeah. not even close. So
1: so like we, like I talked about in the last episode, um, mental illness and is very multifactorial. So multiple factors, including yeah. exposure, right? That's one of the factors, including genetic background, genetic makeup. Um, and when I say that I'm not talking about a single gene, I'm talking about lots of different genes and variations in genes that may add up and work together and so it's very difficult to study Uh, but just knowing that you have that um, those it's we can't test for it yeah but when we know that this exists in a family it's important any mental illness um, to be looking out for that in other members and if they do start exhibiting signs of it to seek help you know quickly because my other guess my, my assumption here is that that generation may not have had Psychia- really good psychiatric health care I'm guessing uh they lived in Kansas in
0: the 1930s and then Olympia and then a, a Washington state uh in the 40s so yeah I, I don't I don't think 30s and 40s so I, I don't yeah. I I
1: I think just given the the decade and the, the, just the l- decade the lower amount of mental health services available you know, they probably didn't. Well, so the good news is that yeah. now we have a lot more mental health services and oh, support. Oh, uh, my grandmother medication. was also diagnosed with dyslexia. Okay, yeah, I mean, there, there, so, so there may have Just been. And, and so, when we think about the genetics of some of these things, as outside of the mental health issues, there's also sometimes learning disabilities that can be uh, associated with different genetic syndromes, um, but they can also again be expo- ex- associated with exposures as yeah. well. Um, Even in utero, right? So there's a lot of it's going to be impossible for us to ever find the cause. But we can kind of think about that and use that information going forward in these future generations to just be on the lookout for any of these and make sure people get help And, and their help is so much more widely available today than it was for our Parents and grandparents. And I think that that's so important, yeah. right? It's going to be so much more helpful. Oh, and
0: it, it's always something that like with my grandmother, you know, there was no way she got near, like it, it was really yeah. upsetting because the, the, yeah, she did not get any kind of help that she needed. And it really sucks because she, yeah, she caused a lot of pain. She caused a lot of suffering, but she herself mm-hmm. suffered so much and yeah. you could see it. Yeah. And I always just felt horrible for her. Because you could see, like, she was literally, like, living in hell in her own mind and had yeah. no idea. And it was horrible. And it was, like, we – and it was just we we couldn't – we couldn't reach her. We couldn't help her no matter what. And even though, like, later in life we could get her proper care, it was, like, it was too late. Yeah. And it was yeah. horrible for her. And then we added dementia onto that, which was <sighs> – threw everything out the window then it was just like okay everybody oh right this is gonna be a fun storm now Mm,
1: yeah well let's talk about that let's talk about genetics of dementia for a second so yeah. yeah um this is another one a lot of people ask about so most dementias, again, are multifactorial, so multiple factors that cause them. When we see them very early, that's when there's a red flag that somebody could have an in- a hereditary form or a genetic form of okay. dementia um, or memory loss um, or some sort of neurological disorder. So how old was your grandmother when she was diagnosed with dementia?
0: Had to, I'm gonna guess it was around eighty.
1: Okay. Okay. Late late um, late 70s, maybe 80. So that okay, so that wouldn't be considered an earlier onset dementia. So um there would be no, you know, genetic tests. Now there are genes that are risk factors. Um, that some people may find on direct-to-consumer tests, mm-hmm. um, specifically ApoE, but they're really only again a small piece of the puzzle. And okay. I have another video on that thing that, <laughs> that we can link as well. <laughs> we have to make a list of all the videos to link. But if you're interested in learning more about that, I have a video on that. So I wouldn't. When we think about the dimension in your family, you know, there's no no concern that there's any early onset forms. Um, so I'm going to move to your grandfather who had emphysema mm-hmm. uh was he a smoker yeah uh yeah. yeah he was for
0: um he started smoking and then stopped uh he must have been he was smoking four packs of debt four packs a day
1: okay for probably 15 years Okay, so he had high, you know, tobacco smoking history. Yeah, uh, most likely, you know, that explains the lung issues. Uh, so then well, we kind the, of looking at the melanoma. Well, the, yeah.
0: there were two issues to the lung issues. Um, okay, the the smoking was one, but then also my grandfather is a Holocaust survivor. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. so he was in Auschwitz and Mathausen, and what happened in Mathausen was he got sick with um tuberculosis. Oh, okay. And okay. and obviously didn't get treated there because healthcare wasn't great on the camps. Just little well, in case anyone just didn't know, wasn't great. Oh. The doctors that were on staff were not good. Just don't go see them. Well, no, they were not doing medical care. They were doing they, medical experiments. Yeah, uh, which my mm-hmm. two great aunts were also victims of the science experiments. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. No, they, um, uh, massive trigger warning to anybody. This is about to get very, very gross and violent. So it just take a pause for five seconds. Um, but if anyone is interested, uh, one of my great aunts, uh, well, for both of them, what they did was they would, uh, break their bones to just watch them heal. Oh my God. And, uh, one of my aunts, they took a kidney out of her because they just wanted to see if she could live with one kidney. Uh, yeah no it's it's horrific absolutely horrific oh
1: uh,
0: uh, 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 yeah okay now it's moving it's, on
1: from that moving on
0: <laughs> yes no absolutely horrific um but miraculously my my great aunt that had a kidney taken out she lived till be went till I was 16 years old the fact that that woman lived as long as she did was like a, a, a miracle and she was the kindest human being ever um oh. sweetest human being um, for anybody who is confused and going like, wait a minute, Laura, you found out you were half Ashkenazi Jewish. What do you mean that your maternal family was in the concentration camps? My family are, uh, were Roman Catholic Poles. They were part of the Polish underground, um, which is basically like the citizens of Poland. Like it's, it was like their kind of resistance. So my family all participated within the underground and they were captured and sent to the camps as political prisoners. So I, cause I always know that people are always a little confused by that, but that was why. Uh, Anyway, oh my god! (laughs) Wow. Okay. So everyone always asks, and I'm realizing, like, oh shit! Actually, I was
1: gonna ask that too. I was gonna, yeah,
0: yeah. But my so my grandfather had tuberculosis, was never treated. The most he was given was like, so, yeah, he had like a skyrocketing fever. Um, He was able to finagle like I think like some kind of aspirin of some sort, which is a whole nother story, Um, Mm -hmm. but. So there was a uh, scar tissue damage
1: in his lungs.
0: And then we added the four packs okay. of day. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, so long story short. The dude had all shit that was lungs. was exposure related. Yeah. This was all like really like awful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dude had um,
0: shit lungs. Yeah. He was not, was not a good time for him.
1: Okay. So, so let's move on to the melanoma. Yes. Because this is another important topic. So. Um, out of all, most skin cancers are not usually her- part of a single gene mm-hmm. syndrome or hereditary. They're The vast majority of skin cancers are caused by sun exposure. Surprise, surprise, right? Um, which is why it's so important to wear sunscreen as much as you can, um, and in practice safe sun health, um. Uh, which my grandfather did not.
0: Just want to throw that out there. My grandfather did not do that. He did not believe in sunscreen and he lived in Florida and he was just like, ew, no.
1: So, uh, surprise, surprise, you're, you you know, the, 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 sun exposure thing. Um, so when we think about skin cancers, there's usually basal cell, squamous cell and melanoma, and they can all be part of different hereditary cancer syndromes, but the the main one we think about is melanoma, which is the most aggressive one. And there are uh several syndromes that can increase the risk of melanoma, but usually when we see it in someone at a in an older age, on an area that's highly exposed to the sun, and in someone who has a history of high sun exposure without proper sun hygiene, um it most likely is not something hereditary right that's most likely exposure related we tried so
0: hard to warn him we tried so hard
1: to know, get him to put on the fucking sunscreen well you're sunscreen. warning all your listeners <laughs> my right god now. he had uh, chunks you know? of his
0: nose taken off and we were just like dude where the fucking sunscreen and he was like no it feels too greasy i don't like it and we're like oh my god. And he's like 100% Polish, so like super fair skin. And we're just like,
1: wow, dude, you are not sun friendly. Okay. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the, like the, the sunscreen is way easier and and uh, to, to get. There's so many different types these days. It's hopefully more people are wearing it now. Yeah. And avoiding tanning salons and tanning beds. Yeah. Because um, there's high, high, high. Association with melanoma risk. Yes. Um. So anyway, so those are the things that I am seeing in your family. So part of this genetic counseling session is, you know, going through the different things and thinking, does is that a flag for me, right? But a lot of my training is looking for these flags, looking for these patterns. And so when I look at you, your history and your mom's side of the family, the biggest thing that stands out to me is your pituitary adenoma, um, because it is something that is more rare and it is can be associated with the syndrome I talked about, and we don't know your father's, any of your paternal history, your biological, you know, your donor's history. So, um, so in doing that, so there's a few different tests that I would recommend for you. So we can kind of talk about these tests right now. Um, One is I'd like to do a panel of uh, the genes associated with pituitary adenomas. Okay. But because you have Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry on your paternal, on the donor side, I also want to make sure that we're testing for BRCA one and two. That very
0: much, that that was a thing that I definitely knew I wanted
1: to do. Yes, yes. So in doing that, uh, because of the way that the laboratory works, it's the same price. Whether we are... Um, looking at one gene or a hundred genes. And so I, I do want to tell your listeners this. So usually if somebody fits their insurance criteria for genetic testing, which they often do uh, when there is family history, right? Then I I can get it covered by insurance. However, um, because you don't have any known family history, this probably won't fit criteria. Yeah. But the out-of-pocket cost for this cancer panel that i'm thinking of no matter how big the panel is is $250. Okay. So, pretty affordable, right? We can look at all the cancer genes at the same time. Um and because and so what i was going to say is because we don't have history and half your family and we're already, you know, paying for a panel, doing a panel, we might as well look at all the cancer genes at once. Yeah. Right? Just to, you know, throw that out there. So, And for the, for the
0: record, I just want to state, I don't, I think it is unfair at this point for any donor conceived person, the fact that our genetic testing is not covered by insurance is absolutely ridiculous because we need it tremendously. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's absurd, just quick little point, but yes.
1: Yeah. And I think in some people we'd be able to get it covered based on their known history on the other side, but your other side doesn't have any cancer. So, you know. Now, the other thing um, is that there are genetic counselors that I've spoken to that have been able to get adoptees and donor conceived testing covered with different loopholes, Mm. uh, which is another benefit of seeing a genetic counselor, right? It's like part of our job is trying to navigate insurance. If, if that $250 seems like a lot, because for some people that is a lot of money, yeah. uh, there's financial aid available at many of the labs. So if you fit criteria for financial aid, that's something that we can do. There's also different programs um, that will sometimes sponsor testing. So Amazing. depending on your personal, again, history and the known history you do have, you may fit criteria for one of those and you can get testing covered that way. Okay. So, my my bottom line for all of you is that, uh, the cost should never be a barrier. And if it is talk to a genetic counselor, because we can try and find a way to lower the cost or provide you testing at no cost. That's incredible. That's great to know. Everyone should be like able to get this testing if they want it. Right. So, So that's, that's the cancer stuff for you. Now, the second thing is whenever I see a patient who is either adopted or donor conceived, or for some reason just doesn't have information about family history, which I said earlier, you know, is often, um, then I do recommend doing a preventative panel that's looking at everything um, that, sorry, it's looking at the most common hereditary conditions that all have really good guidelines associated. So, In other words, it's looking at a lot of the clinically actionable, um, common hereditary conditions. And I think that it's really good for people that don't have family history information because you're at least ruling out the things that are like big that are big red flags that would really change your medical care. And what's really interesting about this proactive panel that I do um, is that the lab actually has reported that one in 16 healthy adults has something found on this panel and that changes their medical care. And that's a huge number, one in 16, right? I personally, I think in an ideal world, everybody would get offered this. But um, it's just not, we're not there yet. Like I said, yeah. so if you want to take control of your own health, that this, uh, genomic health screen is going to be really important. So that's the other thing I recommend, um, to the camp for you, you know, this diagnostic cancer panel, and then for people who don't have family history, um, a genomic health screen. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I love it. The other thing, the other thing I offer to these patients as part of this is a, a big carrier screening panel. So if they have not, if you have not yet had a carrier screening and you're of reproductive age, or there's any chance that you will reproduce or use your um, egg or sperm, then the uh, a, a recessive, as we, as I talked about a little bit earlier, doing a pan-ethnic expanded carrier screening panel is going to be really helpful. So that's the other thing we can do. We can do a big carrier screen. And what's really cool is if you have a partner that you are planning on having children with, you can actually combine your report. And so you get a combined report of the chances of, you know, what you would pass down to children, which is really helpful. Okay. So that's okay. Yeah, that's something we can talk about too. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So those are the things that I would recommend for your particular situation. Um, now there's, when we talk about the uh, the diagnostic testing panel, which which is the the cancer panel that I'm recommending, there's three types of results that you can get. So the first is a positive, which means that the laboratory read through the gene and you have a version of one of the genes that's known to cause disease and then we would go over that you know in the next episode what that means for you. I would write you out a care plan to, for you to share with your doctors and then talk to anyone on your team that you know has questions about that. And it would all be based on national society guidelines, um, depending on, you know, what it is. So, um, so that's, that's a positive. And then if you are positive, then that's something to consider. Like when you do have children, if you, you know, would consider doing something like IVF with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to, to weed it out, depending on what it is. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a, a conversation we could have, but, um, because you don't have any full siblings oh no wait if you're positive for anything we would want to test your mom to see if it's from her because if it's not from her then we know it's from your donor oh of course and then all of your half sibs would need testing of
0: course and that would be really good information to pass
1: on to my half siblings super good information yeah yes oh my god okay no that that completely makes sense yeah. So that's if you're positive for anything, you know, we want to yeah. make sure, because then if, if we test, if you're positive and we test your mom and she's positive, then we know that you got it from that side and then not from the donor, but you know, if it's negative, then it's most likely from the donor. Now there's a very small chance that you could have a, what's called a de novo mutation, but it's really unlikely in most cases. Okay. So, um, so we would still recommend your half sibs be tested, uh, if your mom was negative for something you were positive for. Does that make sense? So that far? makes total sense. Yeah. So that's if you're positive. Now the second type of result is a negative, which means that the lab read through all your genes that we that I had ordered, um, and they found that you only had normal versions of all of those genes. And that would be considered negative. Um, it doesn't mean that you know you don't have something that we know for sure you don't have something hereditary because there's still new genes that we are learning about. And yeah. Um, every year, new genes are added to these panels, and every year there's new discoveries. Right, so so at least it would tell us that there's nothing detectable at this point of t- in time. Um, and so, if that's the case, and you're negative, then there's no recommended screening for relatives, um, and there's nothing to, that we would think about when it comes to you know family planning. Now, the third result is a um, it's called a variant of uncertain significance or a VUS. And all that means is that the laboratory read through your genes that we had ordered and they found a version of a gene that's less common. And if it's less common and we don't have a ton of evidence on it, even though most of those are just normal human variation, they have to call them this VUS until they are reclassified. So as more people test, we learn more about these variants And many of them will then be reclassified as just normal variation and taken off the report. So like, usually I tell people like, probably more than 90% of them will be benign. And so we treat that as a negative result, but we watch it over time. Yeah. So that's something, you know, when, if that does get reclassified, I'd reach out. I'd also recommend anyone listening, if you've had a VUS and a test to reach out to the person that ordered the test every like year or two just to see if it's been reclassified now in the small 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 chance that it actually is pathogenic meaning a positive result or disease causing um then i would reach back out to you and we would then alter your treatment based on that once there's enough evidence to say so but because most of those variants end up being benign like i said we treat it as a negative result okay that makes a lot of sense okay Yeah. Yes. So that is something that doesn't get explained to a lot of people. And uh, again, I have another video on that I'm going to share with you. I think at this point
0: we should just put your channel in. Uh, in, yeah, in
1: but, and- yeah, but I have so many videos, so I'm going to just give you like the specific ones. Okay. Too. But there is one specifically on variants of uncertain significance that I think are really cool. Some genetic counselors call them VOOs. I call them a VUS, but it's just, you know, the way that... Um, your practitioner, you know, defines it. Um, and so another kind of like PSA is that you should never make a major medical decision based on a VUS. And unfortunately, people who are not trained in genetics that order genetic testing and read the report sometimes will tell people that it's a positive. And then they end up doing crazy things. Yeah, there's a lot of literature on this. Um, Yeah, I can see that. And unfortunately, yeah. So so it's really important to understand that if you have a VUS, that does not mean it's positive. What we're looking for is called a pathogenic variant or disease-causing variant or positive. That's the only thing that we're going to make any changes about medical care based on. Does That that make sense? makes a lot of sense to me. Great. Okay. The last thing I go over with everybody is this little uh question about insurance, right? So, do you have life insurance? I do not have life insurance. Um Is that something that you would ever want to get?
0: Yes, it is.
1: Okay. So, literally my my
0: husband and I were just talking about it going like we we should do that. Let's let's do that yeah, soon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, so in the United States, at both the state and federal level, there are protections uh, against genetic discrimination. The the federal law is called the GINA or the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, and it prohibits health insurance and employers from using your genetic test results against you if you are asymptomatic. So in other words, if you are found to have a mutation, let's say BRCA, for example, um, like we talked about earlier, and you don't have any signs of the condition yet, but you have an increased risk, then your any employer or um, health insurance cannot use that information to raise rates, deny coverage, make employment decisions, raises, anything like that. Um, that would be illegal. However, that law does not apply to life insurance at this point in time or disability or long-term care insurance. So technically, life insurance companies can ask if you've had genetic testing and you it wouldn't be that they would get the testing. It would be them asking you if you've had it. And if you lie, then it's technically insurance fraud. So what I tell everybody is if you're going to get life insurance to think about doing it before you do a genetic test for you know, health risk reasons, um, and, and getting that plan locked in place. And then you, if you get a positive result, you already have your plan locked in place.
0: I think I'm going to be doing some very fast work in the next couple of days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's only once you get your results. So if you don't have your result, they're not going to wait out till you get your result. Right. It's, it's, um, like if, if you, they're going to ask if you've had testing, what the results are and you can say like, I haven't, if you haven't gotten the results yet. So yeah, I can I still think send in I'm... the test, but, um, but yeah, I sometimes I'll tell the patients, like, I'm not going to give you your results until you have your life insurance plan. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I think uh, my husband and I are going to be doing some very I think we're going to be looking at some life insurance plans tomorrow. I think that's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah, that's yes. a really, really and just, good tip. Just to clarify. Gina also doesn't protect people um, and there's certain specific situations that it doesn't cover. So like employers that are under a certain amount of employees don't have to follow it. Uh, And then also, I believe the US military is exempt. So um, there are certain situations and certain federal programs. So if you are somebody that falls under one of those categories, again, I have another video on this. then you can, um, I would check before you do genetic testing because that it is an, it, it's important for um, people to know that information. But everybody should look at life insurance um, because these laws just don't protect us yet, you know, at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. From absolutely. Discrimination. Now, the other thing that's really important to understand about that is that if you do, let's say you have one of these mutations and you do have cancer or you've had a cancer before, the cancer itself, or the symptom itself will be the factor that would um, cause discrimination and not the mm. genetic test result. So in other words, if you were to try and take out life insurance and they found out that you had cancer, that would probably be a reason to be denied coverage or have your rates yeah. raised, um, and not the genetic information. Okay. So the Gina does not protect you if you've had symptoms already. Okay. Only if you're asymptomatic. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the uh, Affordable Care Act is what protects people with pre existing conditions, which is separate, right, from the genetics. Um, And Gina was signed by a Republican president. So a lot of people will say, well, what's the likelihood it's going to, we're going to keep it, you know, with all the Republicans taking away some of the health, you know, stuff. Um, But it was signed by George Bush. So it's not one that seems to be under any danger right now. Okay. Well, amazing. Yeah, Yeah, I
0: believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, So uh, Laura's getting life insurance this week, is what's
1: happening. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it also doesn't, so it doesn't count for for carrier screening because carrier screening is not, uh, does not affect the person who's the carrier. That's not something you need to worry about doing. It's for when you do uh, pro, like testing for yourself for conditions that you may develop. Okay. Yeah. So that's my whole insurance spiel. Um, so basically in a, if you were to do genetic counseling in an academic center or, um, with maybe like a telehealth company, you, a lot of times will, um, they will do insurance. They'll take insurance, you know, as we've talked about earlier, um, in my practice, I, I it, everything's out of pocket. So we're going to be, we can talk about price later too. <laughs> um, I don't think we need to talk about that on live, right? Yeah, we, we, we can talk about this one later. Okay. Okay. Um, And I'm trying to think if there's anything else. You can cut this part out because I'm well. uh,
0: So if any of my listeners are listening to this and going, oh, my God, I need to go through this exact same thing. I want to get tested for all of these things.
1: Where can they find you? Yeah.
0: Thank how you can so much. How my, can I get these amazing uh, services? This is
1: called Malibu Genetics. So you can go to MalibuGenetics.com and um, go to the, I believe it's like the pricing tab or the contact tab, and you can fill out a form. Uh, I'm licensed in the state of California and Illinois, and I'm going to be getting more licenses. And then there are certain states that don't have licensure. so I can see. Uh, patients in places like Texas and New York and I believe Nevada there's there's a whole list so you can just um contact me and if I can see you you know we can set up an appointment um I don't take insurance but you could submit on the back end if if that's an issue and you'd like to see somebody that takes insurance um then I can help you find somebody that's local that will take insurance but unfortunately for people that may not have like a strong family history you may not be able to get uh testing covered by insurance, but you may be able to get the session covered. So um, just reach out to me and I can help you figure that out. Um, and yeah, so so that's how you can find me. I also do a lot of content creation. I know we're going to be <laughs> putting a lot of my links because I've mentioned so many subjects and videos, um, but I go by Dina DNA online. I'm on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube um, and plan to be doing some more videos and stuff. So happy to answer questions. You can send me a DM. Um, if you have clinical information, I'd recommend emailing me, um, or, or contacting me through the Malibu genetic site, because that is HIPAA compliant and social media is not. So we, I want to respect your privacy. Um, so yeah, you can, co- you know, contact me in any of those ways. Amazing. So
0: Dina, I live in New York. You are obviously in California how are we getting you my DNA? Am I, yeah. like, am I going to another counselor's
1: office to like get blood drawn? Like how, how does this work? Yeah. So, uh, because of the way that we can collect DNA now, it makes it very easy. So we're going to do a saliva test so you don't have to go get poked. Um, this. there it's going to be a test and I can actually show you what it looks. Like. Why don't we do that? I'll show, I'll go through it with you. Amazing. Um, Amazing. so this is the laboratory that I'm going to use for you. is called invite. and they this is what the, the the tube will look like. Okay. So we're going to be doing a saliva collection. There's also a buckle swab, which is like a swab that people can do. So this kind of looks intimidating, but it's actually uh, hollow on the bottom. So the bottom is actually right here. It's kind of hard to I'm trying to get it good lighting. Let's see if I can get okay. Okay. So you would spit from the, from here to there. So it's not a lot of spit. You would spit in here and bubbles don't count. Um, And then you close it. There's preservative in the lid. You would, you know, close that. It would puncture and then you would take off this lid and you would put on the shipping lid and all the instructions, by the way, are in the box. So you don't have to remember anything of what I'm saying, but, and and the main thing is make sure you label the tube because if you don't label it, they're going to get the sample and not know whose it is. And you'll have to do it again. So that's the saliva collection kit. Um, Some people prefer blood for different reasons. So some people who have dry mouth because of a medication they're on or just naturally uh, may not want to spit. So there's some benefits to doing blood over saliva. So one of the benefits is that if you're doing RNA testing, which is another type of testing we do when uh, we want to look even deeper um, at, at someone's genetics, then we would need blood. Other than that, all of these tests can be done with saliva or the buccal swab, um, and it's just as good. We get the same amount of DNA. It's uh, We're looking at the white blood cells of the leukocytes. That's what contain the DNA both in your saliva and your blood. The only thing is that saliva is a little bit more likely to be contaminated if you eat, drink, kiss, or smoke within 30 minutes of spitting um and so it's a little bit more likely to fail and request they may request another sample it doesn't happen that often for me but um i find that i like saliva better because you don't have to get a poke you don't have to you know go to a phlebotomist yeah which sometimes there's a fee for um but blood is a lot less likely to be contaminated and If you had said to me, I want to do blood, then I can actually get the lab to send out a mobile phlebotomist to come to your home and draw blood. So that's another, you know, possibility. No, I'm fine with spit. That's fine. What? I'm fine with spit. That's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Most people would prefer spit. Yeah. So I think the main thing is just to, um, to make sure that you, you know, you don't eat or drink, kiss or smoke within that 30 minutes. Uh, I think husband. sometimes affect it. What?
0: Sorry to my husband, we're not making out for 30 minutes.
1: For a few minutes, yeah. Um, and then uh, if you already are getting blood drawn and you can ask them to just fill another tube, then you can do a blood you know, draw as well. But, um, but I, it's very easy and I find that almost all my patients opt for saliva and almost all of them go through very easily and quickly. So that's what I prefer um that's how we're gonna do it and so you'll get this box like I said and then inside the box there's a prepaid uh FedEx envelope and you'll stick everything back in the box and I'm gonna have ordered everything already on my side so you'll stick everything back in and you'll just drop it off at a FedEx location and then it'll take like a day or two for the lab to get and then they start running your test amazing I love this yeah yeah and you can also call them to come pick it up you can call FedEx to come pick it up at your house if you like are somebody that's you know, not mobile or, or can't find a FedEx. And, and it's also really important to remember that it is a biospecimen. So it has to go in a special box. So when you go to FedEx, you make sure that, you know, you ask them which box it needs to go in. Um, and they'll know based on the color of the envelope. So that's how I do testing for people across the country. I love it. And I'm so
0: excited to, uh, to publicly go through all of this with you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Okay.
0: So I want to, now we're going to wrap this episode up and then we'll, we'll go back. Okay. Okay. Well, Dina, thank you again for an amazing part two and for going through all of my, my family history. That was really cool to sort of like hear your reactions and everything and to break it down. I'm excited. I'm nervous uh, to hear my results, but I, I, I think it's, it's going to be really good to have this. So I'm so excited. Thank you again. And everybody come back for, for part three.
1: Yeah. Oh, can I address that, that you're, you're what you just said? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So m- I think most people are nervous when they do this test, but it, it I, I find that people are, are almost always really happy. They did it because a lot of anxiety comes from uncertainty and not knowing, and these results are going to give you more control. Yes. And they're going to give you more knowledge and knowledge is power. So, um, you know, whatever, whatever we find, we're going to go through together. We're going to make sure that you have the best plan possible. Heck yeah. And it's benefit of working with a genetic counselor. (laughs) Well,
0: thank you. And I hope you have a lovely day and I'm excited to go through the next part with you. All right. I'll see you in a few weeks. I'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you, guys.